This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome to the Gloria Purvis podcast, where we talk about the issues in the Catholic Church and in society that matter to you and to me. And I'm glad you're here to have that conversation with me. This is the second season and the second episode of the Gloria Purvis podcast. And over the summer, we had some time to rest and reflect, which is so important for all the work we do. We heard from so many of you in the listener survey. And I want to say thank you again for sharing such thoughtful and encouraging feedback with us. We heard that you love our esteemed guests, but you also challenged me to step in a bit more and share from my own perspective. So we're going to try that new format this season. We'll continue to feature amazing guests on a regular basis and include more episodes of my commentary on topics emerging in politics, society, culture, and the church. And so with that said, today I want to reflect on privacy and the confessional. And what made me think about this is For some reason, I was thinking about a time when I was traveling out of town, out of state, in a completely new diocese, but I needed to receive the Sacrament of Reconciliation. So I went to a church and I sat in the confessional. And the way confession worked is the priest was in the middle in this, you know, sealed up booth. And there was a booth on either side of him where you could go whenever it was empty. So I went in and while I was in, someone was in the other side having their confession heard by the priest. But the way the church built the confessional, I don't know what they were thinking. You could totally hear everything that the other person was confessing to the priest. And at that moment, even though the lady in the confessional was not like admitting that she was an ax murderer or anything like that, probably something so mild, I really felt overwhelmed by hearing her confession. I really felt that I'm not her confessor. I shouldn't be hearing this. And it just really made me want to run out of the confessional screaming, stop, I can hear you, stop. But that wasn't what happened. And so I was like, my gosh, this poor woman probably had no idea that someone else could hear a confession. And I didn't want to hear a confession because I am not her confessor. And I don't have holy orders for that. But I did find out from a friend of mine who is a religious that we're bound by the seal of confessional as well by canon law, that we cannot go and repeat other people's sins. Not that I was going to, but I bet a lot of people don't even know that. Another occasion I had was my husband and I were at World Youth Day. I don't remember where. And for some reason, the press was stationed right outside all the confessionals. So I remember coming out of my confessional and seeing all these boom microphones and like a a bevy of press people just like standing not too far away with their very powerful microphones. And I was like, could they hear my confession? And I just felt violated. Like it just wasn't the right thing. And lastly, what makes me want to talk about this is because of a practice that my husband, myself, and my daughter have when we go to confession. And we go to confession as a family. And as a practice, what we do is we hold each other's devices so that we go into the confessional completely device-free. We don't have a watch. We don't have a phone. My daughter does not have a phone, by the way. She just has a watch. We don't have anything where the device could be listening. 
Now, we don't know what the priest has, if he has his watch and phone on, but nonetheless, we go in intending it for it to be just between the priest, God, and ourselves. And we understand that confession is, at least in the early church, was something that people could do publicly, like they confess their sins publicly. And we realize that sin does fracture not only our relationship with God, but also with the community. And so there's that real aspect of what we go in to try to repair in the confessional. But that does not mean, does it, that it should be completely public for everyone? No, I think we do have some privacy there. We have not consented to having it, you know, put over a bullhorn for everyone to hear. But is that what happens maybe when we have this data in the confessional with us? And then it made me think about what about our data in general with how we interact with the church? How is that safeguarded? How do parishes, how do bishops' conferences even think about what happens when they opt in to some of these technologies? I mean, yes, it's a broader question for all of us because who who reads that those disclosures and agreements and stuff. And they're like, hey, click here to say you've read the terms and conditions. Have you read those things? Your mind glazes over. And then you're thinking, gosh, wish I had maybe finished that courses in law or something so I could understand what I'm actually signing away here. And believe me, we do sign away something because the people writing the agreements write them to their benefit, not ours. Okay. And a part of their benefit is being able to have access to that data so they can sell it. I mean, this is about money. It's about profit. And what happens when we sign that? What happens when a church signs it? What happens when a church that has a tribunal that investigates some very intimate details of persons' lives use software, use apps, use anything tech-wise where they sign these agreements? What data access do these companies have? I don't know. Should they know? I should hope so. Should they understand the impact to these vulnerable parishioners coming to them? Yes, because it's very sensitive information. Do I think they mean to do wrong with it? No, absolutely not. I think they intend to serve people and use technology to do that. But what is there that maybe we don't fully understand? That could in some way jeopardize our privacy. I don't know. Maybe that's something we need to look into. We already know right now that even using apps People could isolate your location. We remember the scandal with the priest at the USCCB that his data was tracked and they were able to find that maybe he was in places and participating in things that would put his celibacy in jeopardy. What happens to our data when it's tracked to places where we go? I remember talking to a woman recently that was telling me that her child was to receive First Communion, but she had to fill out a mass passport. What does that mean? The person over religious education at her parish said, we need to know that your daughter's going to mass regularly before she can receive first communion. So in a way, it was like they put a tracker on this little girl to see where she was going to mass. And the priest had to sign it immediately after mass to sign her passport. And I was like, if they're using that old-fashioned way to determine who has access to the sacraments, which I do not believe is correct, perfect mass attendance (laughs) is not my understanding of a requirement to receive first communion. Or really, that your parents take you to Mass regularly. That's not my understanding as as a requirement to First Communion. But somehow, this person instituted this sort of app tracking without an app, if you will. (laughs) You know, data location tracking without actually having an app or the technology. Imagine if she did have access to that technology without even asking the parents. So that's not the purpose of the sacraments. That's not the purpose of receiving the graces of the sacraments. It's not 
for the church to, or anyone in the church to police your comings and goings, if you will, privately anyway, tracking you in that way. That's not what it's about. I mean, the church or anyone in the church on behalf of the church using the data on people to police them, to me, is just as wrong as big technology using data on people in the church to gain profit at the expense of that person. So maybe there's a a more nuanced conversation to be had, but just big picture thinking, I don't think that's what we intend. Granted, I know that comes into the larger conversation of public witness, but this isn't public witness. This is somebody's private going on. You know, we always have conversations about public scandal and approaching the Eucharist. That isn't even this, because this is somebody's private activity that someone has to snoop, if you will to go find, to make it in their mind, make a determination as to whether or not this particular person is worthy of this or worthy of that. And okay, maybe some of you may be okay with that if the person in question is somebody in a high-powered, responsible position in the church. I'm not too convinced there. I'm not too convinced actually on that, that we need to, even for people in high-powered positions, that we have an obligation to go snoop on them, to suss out whether or not they are this good person or not. It just, I think that's, uh, I I trust God that when people are in positions that he's given them of responsibility, they are answerable to him and the Lord determines certain things. So I really trust in the Lord there and I don't need to go become the private investigator by exploiting their data vulnerabilities to make certain determinations about them. Just not the right way for us to go. And I bring this up to you because I really want you to think about Although, look, I'm not saying we have to be completely technology-free. I do believe we have to participate in the world at some level. I mean, just to function, right? But what I want us to think about is how much can we protect our data? Or how much are we freely giving things away, not recognizing how vulnerable it makes us? I mean, I was just reading an article in the New York Times. It's a little bit older about you know the data that is bought by the IRS, by the military, by defense contractors and by stalkers. I was like, wow, I don't want to create conditions for misuse that can affect anybody else. You know what I mean? So how can I safeguard my information and my data so that no one else is harmed? Well, one way, like I said, is when we go to confession, we all hold all our recording devices. Somebody sits with them outside the confessional. As we rotate in, we all take turns holding everybody's device. Another thing is I'm very careful about what I put on social media. I do think about the fact that I'm not going to tell you what my dog's name was. I'm not going to tell you the street of my childhood. Why? Because I know those things are used to guess people's passwords, right? And I try to avoid any really personal information about my family because, frankly, there are a lot of people that have sent me very nasty, dangerous emails, and I don't want my family to be harmed. I don't want them to be able to trace anything back to me or anybody I love or care about in a way that can harm them. So I have to think about that. Maybe other people don't have those concerns. And that's okay. I'm not saying you should, but I'm also saying that in some way, I do have a responsibility to keep other people safe, realizing that the world's not as wonderful as I'd like it to be. And I'm not trying to instill any fear. I want you to be joyful and post those first communion pictures you know, on your Facebook or whatnot, but be mindful of who has access to them. What kind of, are they shared with only specific people? Are they shared with only certain family members? Or are they shared with anybody who's a friend? Or are they shared in general with anybody who has access to your page? Think about those security settings and all your social media devices and in that of your children. 
and recognize that when they're on certain devices, yeah, their data can be tracked and stalkers can track kids on social media depending on the level of access and security that's set up. And I think we as parents do have an obligation and responsibility to try to keep our children safe when they're on social media. And another thing, do you even have a social media policy? Have you thought about it? Have you talked about it with your spouse or loved one? How are you going to handle those baptismal photos or videos that are taken of your child's baptism and well-meaning friends and family post them on social media? Have you already conveyed to them ahead of time what your thoughts are on sharing that kind of information? A friend of mine was just telling me that she she's brilliant, she's smart, she's sensitive, and she was thinking ahead. And so she asked, she asked them, what's your policy on being able to share your child's you know, pictures or photos from this baptism? And the family told her, no close-ups, nothing of the child's face. And I thought, wow, that was, number one, pretty wise of her to ask, but also that the family even had a policy. But then what is our duty to inform people ahead of time at these sensitive events? Have you thought about it? Have you talked about it? Maybe that's something that you could do with your friends and family. Talk about what your expectations are on sharing of media from events where you all get together. And we haven't really, maybe you haven't thought about it. Maybe it's a good time to discuss it. I know my husband is like, if my husband could shut down all social media, <laughs> he would. He does not. He's like, why would I ever share any of that stuff? So he's not in the modern world. Let me just put, you, put it to you like that. And that's by his choice. And I totally respect that. So I, on the other hand, do participate in social media, namely because honestly, I'm super, super gregarious and outgoing and friendly. And so I got involved in social media with Facebook, I was like, what? I'm all in. You know, I was hesitant about Twitter because I was like, yeah, I don't know about this. But it was because of my job at the time that I ended up creating a Twitter account. And so, you know, we all have to determine what it is that we're comfortable with and also how we're going to use social media and what data of ours, be mindful of what data of ours does get shared either through a company mining the data or we freely, you know, hand it out on social media. And maybe we don't want to be that free with it. Think about our obligations to our neighbors with safeguarding their privacy for their protection, for their best interests, and also because, you know, let them decide what they want to share as well. So, I, you know, there's a lot to think about here, a lot to discuss, and maybe even if you're in a parish council, things that you could talk about at your parish around your social media policy and data handling and data safeguarding. So this has been different and interesting to me to muse on a topic. And this is something that you all say you wanted. And to that end, I would love for you to send me suggestions on things, topics you'd like me to muse on. And how do you do that? Well, all my DMs are open on social media. You can follow me on Twitter at Gloria underscore Purvis or on Instagram at I am Gloria Purvis and shoot me a message on things that you would like for me to discuss. Or you can even tweet me, just tag me in a tweet and ask it. That'll be fine. Love to do that. Love to talk with you about the things that you want to hear. And I am really glad you're tuning into the Gloria Purvis podcast and joining with me through these important and sometimes, well, challenging conversations. Please share this episode with a friend or family member and be sure to subscribe to the Gloria Purvis podcast on your podcast app and leave us a review if you can. I would love to hear from you. The Gloria Purvis podcast is a production of America Media. It's produced by Maggie Van Dorn with production assistance from Jill Rice and Chris Parker and is engineered by Frank Tucson. You can learn more about America Media at americamagazine.org. 
We'll see you next time. 